following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. We're going to be kind of all over the Bible today. That's uh, not your typical sermon. The sanctity of human life is essentially a Sunday that has been set aside uh, to look at what life is and what life is all about, to celebrate life. There's churches all across the country this morning that are doing this. It's kind of started a couple of years ago. Um, but when we use the word sanctity, we're talking about a quality um, that is made holy. And so when we talk about the sanctity of human life, we would see that this is a quality that God deems holy. He views life as holy, sacred, set apart, important, and special. And so that's kind of our whole track this morning of what we're looking at. Um, to start out this morning, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1 um, in just a second. Um, but in, in regards to the sanctity of human life, the real thing that sticks out to me is there's so many times in life that you and I uh, look at things in a broad sense instead of looking at them at their core. Now, let me see if I can drive that home just a little bit for you this morning. For example, some of you are homeowners. And when you started the process of looking at your house, you may have looked broad instead of looking at the core. So you may have gone to your house and looked at it and said, you know what, um, guys, you were like, I love the garage. You know, it's a two-car garage. That's awesome. I could put lots of toys in that garage, right? Okay. And women, you were kind of in the living room thinking to yourself, it'd be a nice Ikea couch here, and I'm going to redo the wallpaper. Who puts wallpaper up anymore? Some of you were probably thinking that, right? And you looked at it. Those are the things you looked at and you thought about before you bought a house. Now, what you should have been looking at was the core, which is, can I financially afford this home, right? That's what you should have been looking at, and, and you, sometimes you can't go back, right? So that's kind of a broad area, the core area. A couple of us are in relationships. And so some of us, you know, when you get into a relationship, you, you, you knew this in college or in high school. You looked at somebody, and you thought broad, like, what do they look like? Are they attractive? Uh, are they going to make a lot of money when they get older, right? You thought about those things instead of the core issue, which is, do they love Jesus, and uh, are, are we really compatible, okay? Like, we do that in life, and when it comes to the sanctity of human life, teenagers, did you catch that? Like, if you love Jesus, okay, anyway, um, so when we look at the sanctity of human life, and we, we need to know what God thinks about it. We, we can't paint broad pictures and just say essentially like life is good and God gave us life. We have to really look at how God views life. There was a baseball game that was taking place. It's the bottom of the ninth inning. There's two outs. The score is tied. Uh, one of the best hitters in the game is up. He hits the ball after a full count pitch. It goes out into the outfield. It's soaring all the way into right field. And all of a sudden, uh, he realizes that the player in the outfield is not going to make a play on that ball. And so what he does is he rounds first base, looking up like he should to see where that ball's at. 
realizes on his way to second that that guy is not going to make a play on the ball. He goes around third as the outfielder is bobbling the ball, and the outfielder starts to make the throw to home plate as the batter is chucking it now to home plate. He slides into home plate. It's a hot day in summer. All of a sudden, the dust flies up, and we see that he slides right into the catcher. One team is over here, and they're looking at it going, he's out. He's out. I know he's out. The other team's over on the other side, and they are saying, he's safe. He's safe. The umpire looks at both teams, looks at the guy on his right, the guy's on his left, and he says, he ain't nothing until I call him. And that is the sanctity of human life. It doesn't matter what we think. It's about what God thinks. This morning, we need to find out what does God think. And so we look at Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start kind of our journey here. Hopefully, your pastor's going to find the right passage of scripture this morning. So if you would, um, go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis being the very first book of the Bible, we see God do something amazing in verse 27. And so God, verse 27, Genesis chapter 1. So God creates, because he's a creator, he creates man in his own image. This is blocked out in my Bible, that God created males and females. I don't care what culture says, we are males and we are females. It's it. You only get one or the other. Amen. That's just what God's word says. Like, I'm not going to be apologetic for that. So he creates in his own image, I'm passionate about stuffing. He's in his own image, in the image of God. He reiterates it because we're slow. He created them, male and female. He created these people. Now, if you're taking notes with me this morning, which I hope you are, the first thing that we have to see in the study of that small passage of Scripture in Genesis chapter 1 is that you and I, males and females, are created to reflect the image of God. If you were to do a study on that passage of scripture, essentially, what that passage of scripture is revealing to us, that males and females, human beings, were created, and they are the only creation of God that can reflect God's glory. No idol can do that. You know, it's interesting. You could take a vacation, and you could go over to the West Coast, and you could see the big redwood trees. You could drive your truck straight through one of them. Those trees are not created like human beings are created. They are not reflections of the glory of God. And let me tell you something. They're fingerprints of the glory of God. We can see him in those things, but they're not reflections of him. How do we know that? Because only human beings were created to reflect the glory of God. If you wanted to tell somebody about who God is, you would look to a human being. You and I, we are created and we fall, we are sinful, and we look to the perfect human being, which is Jesus Christ. And we would use him to show people what God is like. Now, I don't know where you're at this morning, and I don't know what you were thinking when you got here, but do you realize that you, as a created being, were, rec were created to reflect the glory of God? I think you should write that do I know this? Do I wake up with this knowledge in my brain that I am 
a reflection of the glory of God. I am created male and female. He created so that I could reflect it. In the Old Testament, they built idols. They constructed all of these things. And they looked at it and they said, look at how good we are. And those things did not reflect the glory of God. You know, we look at it even today, and we would say, look at in our culture, all the things that we have constructed and created, and the things that we have done in our lives, and the accomplishments that we have gained. And we think to ourselves, look, look what I have done. Those are not reflections of the glory of God. You, yourself, at a core level, are a reflection of the glory of God. And because you have life, God looks at you and says, I deem that holy. I deem that as something that is holy. I hold that valuable only humans reflect the glory of God. Okay, so if that's the case, we would wonder, when does that start? Because this is the huge argument that, that shows up. When does that start? When does the reflection start? Alright, so we're going to go over to Psalm chapter 139. Psalm being the middle book of the Bible. Psalm chapter 139. It was to the choir master, the Psalm of David. And we know David had his struggles, Amen. Like David, I resonate with, man, he's got his problems, and he's just got, he's a hot mess. Okay, watch this. <clears throat> David says, in Psalm chapter 139, we get there, we're going to look at verse 13. <clears throat> it says in verse 13, David is going to talk to the Lord. For you, sir, oh you, God, formed my inward parts. You knitted me, he says, together in my mother's womb. I praise you. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows this very, very well. 15. My frame, in other words, the way he was constructed was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, because you cannot see at that time period in the book of Psalms, a baby being made. There was no sonograms or anything like that. Okay. He says, my frame was not hidden from you. You know all things. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that you formed me, when as yet there was none of them. Now go back to 13. He says essentially that the reflection of the glory of God starts, if you're tracking with me, number two, at conception, when you are conceived. If you need to know what conceived means, talk to your mom and dad about it. Call them on the phone today. I would love for you to do that. We won't go through that today. We'll just uh, say that you guys know this. Okay, so 13, he says, <clears throat> you formed my inward parts. I would circle the word knitted. When you are conceived in the womb, that is the start of the work of the Lord to show his glory. It is a miracle in childbirth. You can talk to any doctor, and they will look at you, and they will say, we cannot explain how something is conceived. We can formulate it scientifically and show you the process of it, but the way that this works is a miracle. Kids are a miracle. And so he says, David says, you knitted me, and I see the start of your works together in my mother's womb. And because of that, I stand back, he says, and I reflect on your glory. Can you do that? Do you see yourself? Because some of us see ourselves as not perfect in the eyes of the Lord. He says, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made by a great creator. Wonderful, God, are your works. He's worshiping right there to him. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Now, here's the thing. David is going to kick back against culture here. 
He's not the first person to do it, right? He's kicking back against what the culture thinks because he says, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. He is combating a secular standpoint which essentially says the people believe that that conception started at the middle of the earth. And he says, no, 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 no. He says, that's not true. He says, this comes from God and it's his earth, it's his creation. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. It didn't come by sheer mystery or magic, if you will. He says, it came from you alone. You saw me unformed in your book. You wrote every single one of them, the days that were formed of me, when there was none of them. You have covered me. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, when we read that, okay, here's your initial response to hearing that you are created to reflect the image of God. Yeah. Good? I mean, this should change your whole thing. You go to work tomorrow, and you know that guy that you don't like at work, you look at me and say, hey, I don't know if he knows or not. I'm my pastor. <laughs> he's a great guy. Messes up every now and again, but anyway, he's a great guy. He said, I am made, according to the Bible, in reflection of the glory of God. Just soak it in. Right? We have to watch that a little bit. Because that's what happens to us. I mean, we become children of God. We think to ourselves that we're better than what we really are. And we forget the fact that we fall short of the glory of God. And so our head becomes a little bit swollen. It's like being in a car and you see the rearview mirror. It's like objects that are behind you, they, they seem a little bit bigger, right? And so the initial responses after reading these things and understanding what David is saying is to be prideful. Because I'm made in the image of God that started at conception. I have been good looking since the day I was born. Even before that, right? I was a good-looking fetus. <laughs> and so you have to watch that. He says you need to, you need to, uh, to, to, to be that. Now watch this. David also knows something that's very interesting that's based off of Jeremiah. God tells Jeremiah, I'll just go there. It's Jeremiah chapter 1. You don't have to go there if you don't want to, but I'll go there. God looks at Jeremiah in uh, Jeremiah chapter 1. And he says to him something that really parallels what David says. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4, it says, The word of the Lord came to me, which is Jeremiah. He says the same thing that he says to David. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And not only did I know you, not only did I realize that you were a reflection of my glory. He says to Jeremiah, before I formed you, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. In other words, I devoted you to do my work and to my service. If God looks at human life as holy, do you realize not only are you somebody who reflects the glory of God, but you have a specific purpose for him and his work here in this place and in the community and in the world. For Jeremiah, it was to be a prophet. I appointed you, Jeremiah, to be a prophet of the nations. And then I love it. Jeremiah looks at him in verse 6 and he says, I said to the Lord, ah, he's having an epiphany. Ah, oh, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak. I'm a youth. But the Lord said to me, and then he continues on telling them that he'll be okay. So what happens is, first of all, you are a reflection of the glory of God that starts at conception. But some of us get to the place where we think to ourselves, but Jordan, I'm imperfect. And even more importantly, you look at it and you say, but God, I'm flawed individual. The reflection of the glory of God starts at conception, even, number three, though we are imperfect. Even though we are imperfect. If you go back to Exodus, <clears throat> Exodus chapter 10, 10? Yeah, 4, excuse me. 
Exodus chapter 4. Exodus will be the second book of the Bible. In Exodus chapter 4, this is a phenomenal story because Moses gets it all too well. We'll start at verse 10. Moses says to the Lord, just like Jeremiah, Jeremiah gave the Lord an excuse. Moses gives the Lord an excuse. He says, oh, Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to me. Now, pause for a second because I love Moses. He says, God, I'm not perfect. Haven't been in the past, not going to be in the future. <laughs> right? Okay? So he says to him, he says, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to me either in right now. I'm still your servant. But I'm slow of speech and I'm slow of tongue, he says. He says, how can I be a reflection or be used for the glory of God because I'm imperfect? I'm damaged. The Lord speaks back to him in verse 11. He says to him, Moses, who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Don't I do those things, says the Lord? Now, you go and I'll be your mouth and I'll teach you what you shall speak. Some of you guys... First of all, don't believe that you reflect the glory of God. When I said that, you looked at it and you said, not me. There's no way. If you looked at it and you thought to yourself, I've had problems since I was born. And I have done so many disservices to God. And what you've done is you've spoken to yourself for so long that you've told yourself a lie for so long that isn't true. And you said, there's no way that God looked at me and being conceived. Some of you looked at it and said, I don't even have a dad. I don't even have a mom. Like, I'm an orphan. Uh, there's no way that God could see me as a reflection of his glory, especially from my childhood, from my youth. This is the biggest reason why people don't come to, to Jesus. Do you know that? They look at it and they say, there's no way that God would love a sinner like me. There's no way that he would care about me. There's six billion people in the world right now. What makes me distinct and individual? Well, your fingerprints for one. The way that you walk is another one. The way that you talk, God made you individually and unique. There is nobody like you on the face of this earth. My dad said something when he was here just a little bit ago, and it's resonated with me ever since he said it. He said, this is my body. I better get used to it because I'm going to have it forever. <laughs> and I thought to myself, he's right. Like Jesus even resurrected, comes back, and he's still similar. And I thought to myself, I'm like, whoa, that's, that's kind of huge. And so we see it and we think to ourselves, but, but I'm not perfect and I, I don't reflect the glory of God and all have fallen short of the glory of God. It's true. But we have to finish the devil's sentences. It's so important for you and for me as we continue to worship Jesus, to be steadfast in our relationship with Christ. I have to speak back to the devil's lies. And so when the devil tells me that I'm not worth it, the devil tells me, Jordan, he's going to do it today. At 12.15 when I go home, he's going to say, you made a mistake. You can't even find a passage of scripture in God's book. And I'm going to tell him, at least I've opened the book. <laughs> right? you got to spit back to what the devil speaks to you. You look in the mirror in the morning and you tell yourself, I'm not worth it. you got to answer that you are made in the image of God to reflect his glory, and you make a choice on whether or not you're going to do that every single day. Because I might be a child of God, but I have to be a reflection of him with everything that I choose to do. No matter if it's dealing with a sickness, or dealing with a marriage, or dealing with kids, or dealing with problems, or work, or whatever. I make the choice to step back and look at the Lord and say, I am fearfully 
and wonderfully made in your image. And I'm going to choose to be a good reflection for you today. Moses and Jeremiah look at God and they say, God, these are my excuses and you do it and I do it. We tell God, this is, this is what's wrong with me and this is why I'm broken and this is why I sin. And he says, I know. Fix it. Change it. Do something with it. And watch this in the book of Exodus. <clears throat> Moses even says this in 13. He says, why don't you just send somebody else? And I love this. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. He's like an upset dad. And he goes, oh my word, is there not? And then he gives him all of his history to show him how much he loves him and he cares about him. And he says, Moses, you can do this. It's, it's, it's on you. Even though we may be imperfect, we belong to God. Even though at conception, you may have had an imperfection to, that granted you something that a disformity or something to that effect, God still looks at you and he says, I love you. Even though you may have a physical ailment, God still loves you. Even though you may have an emotional ailment, God still loves you. He's like, God is crazy. He cares about me and he sees me as a reflection of him with all of my problems. God loves me. Started at conception, even though I'm imperfect. Now, if you go to Exodus chapter 21, there's one thing um, that we bring to the surface this morning that is huge. We're reflections of God. We're created in His image at conception, because that's when life starts. Even though we are imperfect. In 21, there's something that's happening in the book of Exodus. They start at 22, 21-22. Two men are having a fight, they're having an argument. They're looking at each other at the quarrel. <clears throat> Imagine that. There's a pregnant woman that's standing beside of them, and the pregnant woman gets hit. And so when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, in other words, she was forced into labor, and there's no harm to the kid, the one who hit her shall surely be fined. He's got a penalty. According to the law, he gets fined. The, was the woman's husband, he also gets fined. Guys, that's the story of our life. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> girls are like, "That's not fair." Okay, so he shall, as just determines. But if there is, it is fair. You ever seen Eve? She bit the apple. She looked at Adam. She goes, "Here, you eat." All right. I'm sorry. But if there is harm, then you shall pay. I love you, huh? They shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, strike for strike. What the Old Testament is unpacking here is that there has to be justice. And man has been commissioned to administer justice. Okay? There's law. There's always got to be law. There always will be law. Law is good. But when it comes to the, uh, to the unborn, those who are conceived, the biggest thing for us this morning is that we do not get to decide as human beings when to end or terminate that life. Amen. We just don't. That's how it works. Like, it's not my call. And let me tell you something. I have been in the hospital rooms of people who have stillborn babies. And the doctor looks at me and he says to me, he says, uh, it's, it's, the, it's the mother or it's the kid. Like, are, are you going to abort the kid? And I said, God is faithful and sovereign over the womb. And we trust him. That's just, that's just what the Bible says. We as human beings who reflect God's glory 
We can have and administer justice in regards to the law, but when it comes to the unborn and those who are not here yet, we don't get to decide when to end that. It's the way it is. God is sovereign, we read in the text, over the womb. And so you can throw a thousand hypothetical situations my way, and you can respond, and I'll respond at the same time every single way, that God is sovereign over the woman. He gets to decide. What if the mom dies? Then she dies. And the baby lives. That's not fair. Life isn't fair. Sin's not fair. This is the way it works. And you know what? It's amazing to me because I've been there. And a lot of people look at me and they go, George, you have no idea what you're talking about. And I'm like, no, that's, that's not true. Because I remember when my... Second daughter was born, I can tear up a little bit here, but I remember my second daughter was born, my wife was essentially bleeding out on the table, and I'm holding Gianna. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I don't get to decide. Like, I don't, I don't get to decide. I'm like, and, and it was funny, because I had Gianna in my hands, and I thought to myself, like, I just met you, and you're really nice. Um, she, she didn't make a whole lot of noise then, she did later on in life. Um, <laughs> and, and I said, that's great, but I, I, I kind of am more concerned about your And in the still of that hospital room, God says, I am sovereign over the womb. And I make those decisions. And I contemplated that for a long time. I said, God, why didn't, well, you know, if, if Bethany were to have gone, I would have thought to myself, why didn't he take John? And I don't get to make those decisions. I just don't. What about cases of rape and molestation and all of a sudden, God is faithful over the womb. We don't get to decide when to end life. We can have justice according to what Exodus chapter 21 tells us. And we can administer law that's good. But in regards to the womb, God looks at every baby who is conceived, even if it's in the most broken circumstance, and he says, I love them just as much as I love you. Because I look at the sanctity or the quality of human life, and I have deemed it, God says, as holy sacred, set apart, and even if somebody is born in the most broken of circumstances, they can still be used for the glory of God. And so we look to this, and we realize, and some of us are in this spot, I realize that, and some of us might be sitting here today, and you might think to yourself, Jordan, I've ordered a kid. And you know what? A sin, back to me, a sin is a sin is a sin. And just as I lie and cheat and steal, so abortion is. And so we look at it and we go, there is forgiveness. And if you are here this morning and you have found yourself in that spot, and I, I, I did that, you have to know that God loves you and he cares about you and there is forgiveness there, no matter what. And you have to look at it from the standpoint of that God is the God who forgives sin. And he heals us, he restores us. For all sin falls short of the glory of God, but the gift of God is eternal life. So God just doesn't give us life conceived to be lived here on earth. He lets life be lived forever. It's, it's not just here. Life starts here, but it goes forever. And so we see it, we see it here in the text. Every sinner has a past, but every saint has a future. And the question is, for you and I this morning is, do we choose that saving grace? Do we look at Jesus and we say, God, I repent, I confess, and I believe in you, that you are the giver of life, not just life here on this earth, 
the life for eternity. I remove myself from the equation. I eliminate myself. All of these couples came up. I looked at their kids and I thought to myself, do I approach God in the same way that they approach their mom and dads? With this humble adoration and dependence on Him. Do I look to them for those things? How does God feel about the sanctity of human life? That's the case, and you can write this down, this isn't in your text, but I would look at three things. Three scenes. I would look at conception, I would look at the cradle, and I would look at the cross. At conception, God made it possible for life to start. Isn't that awesome? It's amazing. Like, you hold a baby, and all I can think about is it's a miracle. I hold my kids even still to this day. The so big, and I tell her that all the time. I'm like, I know there's no room, and dad's laughing here, but I think about it, and I go, man, there's life here. And God has given you life. He's given you life. And then I think about the cradles and, and all the kids, and, and that life kind of keeps going, you know? You see what happens there in the cradle. Make, God makes it possible for life to be seen. So conception hidden, cradle shown, cross permanently lived forever. The cross of Jesus Christ says, you and I have fallen short of the glory of God, the free gift of Jesus Christ is eternal life. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, Jesus Christ the Lord will be saved. And so the cross takes our, our earthly life and makes it eternal. Isn't that crazy? And God deems life. He looks at life and he says, I love it and I find it holy and set apart. Now you know that this morning. I'm afraid of God, what a powerful, powerful understanding for us here this morning. That you look at life and you deem it holy sacred, set apart. God, this morning, for my prayer, for my, I mean, I pray this for myself just as much as I pray this for all the people who are here, that we would see ourselves as made in your image. And God, people are looking at us and we are showing them either a good representation of who you are or, or we're doing you a huge disservice. Either we're conforming to your word and what it says, or we're, or we're doing a disservice to them. And, and God, we have to, as a church, as individuals, as Christians, who call ourselves followers of you, we have to empty ourselves and get to the point, God, to where we live in a steadfast way for you and for you alone. Because we know there's people who are watching our every move. And so may we, God, make the choice Today, tomorrow morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, for the rest of our life, may we make a choice to not buy into the lies of the devil, but to listen to the dear words of our beloved Savior. That we are made in your image to reflect your glory. That that started, God, that we were conceived regardless of our imperfections. And would you do something, God, in a major way that I can't even write here this morning? Would you do something absolutely huge? Would you speak to the hearts of the people who are present here who don't believe that that's true? People who have physical ailments, sicknesses, 
people that are dealing with problems of the flesh, would you speak right now, God, into their life and tell them how much you love them and you care about them and you have a purpose for them. And those people that are dealing with, with emotional issues, deep things that nobody else knows about, there's nobody who knows about the things that they struggle with on a daily basis, would you do something amazing, God? And, and if I can't do it, you can, or only you can. Would you speak to their heart, tell them how much you love them, how much you care about them, how much that you have a purpose for them and a plan for them, and they can reach people who are lost, and they can build up those who are already found. Would you show them their purpose, God? Would you give them the ability to know that even regardless of the imperfections they have, you have a plan for their life? Some people are either gathered here right now, God, and they've thought about ending it and eliminating it and just moving on, and would you show them that you have a plan for them and for their life? Would you encourage them and uplift them and help them and lead them and guide them? Give them the ability to see how much you love life, how much you love their life. And God, today, in this place, we pray with diligence, with immediacy, for the elimination of those who are terminating life within the womb. We pray that you soften the hearts of people who are passionate about the destruction of your life. Uh, would you end that, God? I, I feel like I've prayed this since I was a teenager, that you would end this wicked, vile movement that people have made possible to terminate life in the womb. We pray with diligence and expediency that you would come quickly to our aid in this regard, because you alone can change the hearts of people. And even right now, as there's women who are walking to pregnancy centers, seeking out these things, that you would move them away from that. That you would see that, uh, you would help them see that you love their life and you love the life of the child that's in their womb. Would you do that, God? Would you help us to pray this way? When we're adamantly opposed to something as wicked as abortion, would you help us to show people that you love life, that it started at conception, and that even while it may be imperfect, there's still purpose. I pray that so passionately, Lord, because as much fiber in my being, I believe in faith that you can do that work. Help us to fight for that cause, to fight for life and what it means. May we see ourselves in your image. You're a great God. I love you so much. Thank you for <clears throat> conception, life seen in the cradle and the cross, life and life eternal. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.